Tuning in to the 527th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, over you are, however you may be listening, thank you for making me an initial part of your day, whether it be a Spotify, a Stitcher, a podcast, school podcast, I read a sound clip, and or whichever podcast network platform you may be listening to me via. Again, have a great podcast for all you guys that are going to have Kenny Simmons, cutting expert for 247 Sports to break down a recap that went down for Wild Card Weekend. Now, before we get to that conversation with Kenny. I'm going to get my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via other threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify, everything timestamped. You click on the timestamp and we'll send you whichever part of the podcast you most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitro underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You'll find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my good show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars to great review. For some odd reason, I'm not the front now. We're not, folks, but just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Got up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Sun. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim with us, getting expert for Sports and Sports to break down and recap everything that happened for Wild Card Weekend. The playoffs are here. Kenny, how you doing, man? Good. Good, Daryl. I watched the games this week and go through everything. Um, you know, pre- pretty, as usual, the end of all, pretty competitive games, you know, Three of those, four, four of those five were one-score games, and it came down to the, you know, the last couple of possessions. And even the Seahawks-Niners game, which got out of hand in the second half, that was a close game in the first half. The Seahawks were battling in the first half, then they kind of got away yeah, from them. Yeah, the Seahawks actually had to lead. The Seahawks had to lead at halftime, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely a good weekend of football. So we're going to start with the Bills versus the Dolphins, the Bills getting the narrow in 34-31. Uh, Kenny, my biggest takeaway is I, I I don't know if the Bills are quite ready for prime time. The turnovers are have just been an issue all year. I think, like, Josh Allen, I was reading some stat that had, like, he has, like, 30 turnovers in total this year, which oh. is, like, crazy. And just, you know, the bad football, not taking care of the football. Kenny, it's something we always say. This is a third down league. It's a red zone league. Turnover league. You win those three categories, you typically win the football game. And that's why the Bills, despite being much better than the Dolphins, who were trotting out Skylar Thompson, who's an awful third stringer, were able to stay in the game. So what were your thoughts of the game? Well, when you take a look at the game, you see, I mean, the Bills, I mean, I, you just don't see this in the NFL. I mean, the Bills outgained the Dolphins by 200 yards. That's like a college football team playing an inferior team. Dolphins couldn't run the football. 
Um, you know, Bills were good on third down. They won that battle. They won time of possession. And, you know, you start looking around and saying, you know, there's 17 nothing. just where, you know, what happened? And it was the turnovers. And I know the Dolphins got one. Uh, they got a defensive score. But it was Buffalo Bills turnovers that really did them in. And, you know, looking at it, the Dolphins had 17 points off turnovers. So, you know, if the Bills played a, you know, a clean game, if they had a clean sheet, it's 34-14. So it was the turnovers that did them in. You know, ball, ball off the receiver's hands for an interception. Then you had Josh Allen not taking care of the football and the fumble, the strip sack for an easy score. And that keeps teams alive. And that's how, you know, that's how it remained close. And even before um, those turnovers, a very important part of the game is that middle eight, the last four minutes of the first half first four minutes of the second half and you know the Dolphins almost triple dipped they got the field goal and then the ensuing play was the uh, interception and so all of a sudden you know it's 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 17-9 you get a stop maybe get a score you make it a two possession game and then all of a sudden here we go with those turnovers that's how you have a tie game. So it was sloppy. It was sloppy by Josh Allen. Um, again, these, these self-imposed turnovers. They're not taking care of the football on the fumble. Ball off the receiver's hands. Everything needs to be tightened up for the playoffs. And because of that, kept an inferior team in the game, which often happens when there's turnovers by the superior team. As you could. You know, the Dolphins stayed within striking distance and all second half. I think the Bills were like 13 and a half favorites and there's nothing about this game that should have had the Dolphins cover. There, there's nothing about this game. Weirdest game, this to me, this was the weirdest game of the weekend. How, what concerns would you have with the Bills going forward? Like, do you think any less of them now? Because I'm kind of like, I know Cincinnati, they didn't, I mean... I think Cincinnati played a lot better than the Bills did, but I don't know if Cincinnati did anything to really inspire any confidence beating the fighting Tyler Huntleys, but how concerned would you be about the Bills heading into the divisional round? Well, I'd be a little concerned about, you know, those those turnovers that continue to happen with Josh Allen, that they're not being solved, they're not being fixed. It started week one, and if those continue now, they're getting to the point in the season now where everyone is momentum. Everyone is good. I mean, these are the, I mean, you know, the Chiefs and the Bengals, these are two of the five best teams in the NFL. And so now start doing that. And if, if you learn, if you lose the turnover battle now against Cincinnati, Kansas city, whoever comes out of the NFC, now you're really playing from behind, and and, and now it, it, it's going to catch up. So it's the turnovers, and then defensively, 
you know, ever since Von Miller has gone out, teams can move the ball on the Bills, you know. So the Dolphins had some short field to work with, um, but they had 24 offensive points. Even Week 18, you know, Matt Jones, they were moving the ball for three quarters. Um, in, in the second meeting on Saturday night, Dolphins-Bills in, in December, again, Dolphins were moving the football. So that is something that is, you know, turnovers are a little fluky, a little high variance that could go, you know, change with the drop of a ball, the way the ball bounces. But, but that is something that is, you know, that shows up on film more and more every week and can be exploited regularly is, you know, the Bills' defense on, you know, all sorts of teams can't move the ball on them. Yeah, the rush isn't there. Uh, Greg Russo, Shaq Lawson, AJ Espinessa, they're... And the big thing that's really going to help the Bills, too, is Jordan Phillips is going to be coming back, I believe, for the Bengals game. But off the edge... Uh, they're all solid players, but you need that Vaughn who has the power, who has the bend, the bend, the great get off. Uh, when you're missing an all pro caliber player, I mean that's just that's just a major difference maker. If two attack Valoa would have started this game, the Dolphins win, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A a healthy, non disheveled Tua. Like when, like when he was playing in the beginning of the year before the concussion, and then in November when he got a little bit of a groove in November, that Tua with those receivers, you give them three extra possessions on turnovers, I would think they win. How close can he, do you think? Like, let's say if the Bills lost this. How disastrous would this have been for a uh, playoff favorite, for a Super Bowl favorite? Like, I can't even think of one. Like, this would have been, like, awful. Yeah, it would have been a long time. I mean, it would have been a long time since that type of upset happened. I mean, 13 and a half points. You're really going to have to dig deep to find... When that happened, I mean, one that comes to mind is, I think it was the last Kansas City playoff game before Mahomes came. I think Alex Smith, and they were leading the uh, Titans like 21-3 to or something like that. And the Titans ended up winning that type of upset. Um, <clears throat> so something like that. But, you know, Adding that to the fact that they had their third string quarterback, Skyler Thompson, and the 13 point underdog kind of speaks for itself. So if that were to happen, I mean, that would be that, that type of upset, you know, that, that type of monumental upset that just sounds, you know, so fluky. One of those games, you know, you play it. A hundred times the Bills win ninety nine of those, and it shows how much better the Bills are because the, despite them doing everything they could to give the Dolphins that game, they still won. So they're just clearly the superior team. Uh, I'm also thinking of remember when the Jets in there with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. Now this was a divisional round, so I don't think it was as bad. But they went into Foxborough and beat the Patriots, who were like fourteen and two. Yeah, 
Yes, yes, but that was a different Jets team. That was a Jets team that uh, um, that was actually one of my claims to fame. As I, <laughs> I had the Jets in the upset because of that. It was because of that defense, though. So. It was because of that defense that they had. Uh, oh, I think it was like, Thomas Jones was the running back, but but they were top five in run offense, and that type of style kind of plays. Um, but you you know that that was a good Patriots team, but um, you know far and away that uh, Skylar Thompson, no Mark Sanchez, and that Dolphins team did not boast the best defense in the NFL this year, though. Or in uh, 2009, I think the Patriots, they got, like, destroyed by the Ravens. Yeah, yeah, that game. um, I think there was a kick return by the Ravens to start it off, and it was all downhill from there. That game was never close. You know, a type of upset like that. But typically... um, you know, if there's a big underdog that wins, something weird like that happens. And it was almost the case with the Bills with those three turnovers. You know, three turnovers, 17 points off turnovers, that becomes a lot. And, you know, if there was one more turnover, you know, that could have propelled a Dolphins team. It also did not have Raheem Moser either or the left guard Eichenberg. That could have propelled them to an upset on the road. But it's that type of, you know, unforeseen game, unforeseen events um, that would have to happen for a shorthanded team to have an upset in the playoffs. Is Josh Allen's status as QB2 in the NFL in jeopardy if the Bengals go into Orchard Park and win? Possibly. I mean, Joe Burrow is so good, though. Joe Burrow might have to be nominated for QB, too. Yeah, I mean, you know. You know, he did go to the Super Bowl last year. So that could be a discussion. Um, But, you know, Josh has just got to play better. Um, You know, he just got to play better. And the one pick was not on him. The other one, I mean, Defender made a really good play on the deep ball. But, you know, the fumble, didn't like that one. You got to protect the ball on that one. Got to cover that ball with two hands when you're in the pocket. Got a bunch of defenders slapping at it. But, you know, you take those turnovers out, though, from a passing perspective, I thought he threw the ball well, though. You know, over 350 yards. He did answer when need be. Um, it's just the turnovers and, you know, those type of plays that, you know, Joe Burrow doesn't make a lot of. Um, Josh Allen does. But you kind of have, you know, maybe the valleys are a little bit deeper with Josh Allen. But when he is humming, his top end is as good as anyone. You know, I think about what was it, it was the first. Uh, it, it was last year in the playoffs. 
I think there was some point late in that Kansas City game where he had the same amount of touchdown passes in the playoffs as incompletions. So, so, so stuff like that. But it's just eliminating those valleys, the multiple turnovers, and um, you know, most of them have just been poor decisions, specifically in the red zone. You know, I know the ball. Uh, you know, the two yesterday off the receiver's hands, and then again, kid made a good play on uh, Miami. Any last words for a funeral for the Miami Dolphins? Well, the Dolphins had a, I mean, the Dolphins had a really good uh, season this year to make the playoffs in year one of a first-year head coach. That's something that should not be, you know, painted lightly. Um, next year, they're going to have to address backup quarterback a little bit more than other teams in the playoffs just because of the injury history, not just concussion-wise, but just the overall injury history of Tua that, you know, like most teams, it could derail a team if the starting quarterback goes out. But I know what they were probably, what, eight, uh, nine, nine and one, nine and two this year when Tua was the starting quarterback and it looked good. Um, So investing a little bit more in backup quarterback because, you know, you have to think it's probably going to, you know, you have to think, I don't know if the odds are in your favor that Tua next year is going to play again all 17 games with his uh, injury history. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's something they're definitely going to have to look at. It probably they're going to have to get a more durable backup in Teddy Bridgewater because if your starters has injury issues, the backup just is fragile. Then you wind up with Skylar Thompson. So they need to find a like a Case Keenum or a Mitch Trubisky, somebody like that who you at least know semi competent has the trait so you can trot out there and is not going to get hurt because if Teddy keeps getting hurt, then it defeats the whole purpose of having the backup. Uh, now I want to go to the Bengals versus Ravens game for Sunday night football. Uh, what were your thoughts of the game? I, I felt a little uh, lackluster. I would have expected a little bit more of a dominant effort. I get it's in division. This is the third time you're playing the team. They already played it the week before. But I would have expected Cincinnati to dominate a little bit more. What were your thoughts of the game? This is just a competitive football game. This is This is not only third time playing a division uh, opponent, but this is AFC North football. And so I just had a feeling this game would be closer than you think. Baltimore has always had a way in the playoffs, too. I mean, look at all of the... So so John Harbaugh now, 11-9 and nine in the postseason, 20 postseason games. Of those 11 wins... Look at all of those wins that have came on the road, which is so difficult to do. Um, so, the Baltimore DNA under John Harbaugh was this is going to be a close game. And they just have a knack for keeping games like this close, even though they might be looked at as being shorthanded. It's just going to be one of those close battles. And sure enough, it was Ravens football. Um, you know, all hopes looked lost at nine to nothing. Cincinnati has the ball 
all of a sudden, physical hit on the fumble recovery. Baltimore's defense answered. Um, I want to say that was after a 17-play drive where Baltimore scored. But it's it, it, it's physical play, specifically on the defensive end that keeps them in it. Um, and then late, you know, they, they were getting off the field on third down. They had some third and longs, and they took advantage of three angles starting offensive linemen out. And they've got after Joe Burrow forced a sack on the Bengals' last offensive possession, and that that then gave uh, the Ravens ample time to have a chance to tie it. But this is, you know, this is AFC North football, and it's going to be a very competitive game. So, Kenny, we've talked about Tyler Huntley a little bit. We already know the mutual person we know who loves Huntley. After the game, Giddy, you told me Huntley effed up again. What did you think of his performance? Obviously, backup quarterback out there. Again, their scheme, really good. I mean, they were running, you know, one of their plays, the Ravens ran, is they brought a tight end across the formation to the offensive right side, which is traditionally tight end wham. But they pulled right guard, right tackle across. And that run game pinched out 155 yards rushing. And the way, as a, as a run designer, maybe not as a pass designer, as a run designer, Greg Roman is outstanding at creating those mismatches. Take a look. Center, wherever they're running, they can force pre-snap motion, pulling linemen, and they have more bodies on the side they're running than the defense does. And they did that all night. Um, and so they were able to, you know, run the ball saying like that. But first play, interception, Tyler Huntley did not see the sitting backer. And then what is he doing on the QB sneak from the one? <laughs> Extending the football like that. He was way too far away. I mean, maybe... You do that if you're six foot four and over, or if the ball is inside the one, not one yard line and out. That's a long ways to go. And so, you know, quarterbacks getting a little too, uh, a little too cute extending the ball. And I know Trevor Lawrence did that; and he was successful at it. But if you do that, you better score hundred percent. Now, I know there's no such thing as 100%. We shouldn't be doing that then. Almost like when wide receivers, when you extend the ball at the pie line, and if you don't, and you fumble in the end zone, goes out of bounds, it's a touchback. So if you do that, and you extend the football over the plane, you better score. But too short, too far away to do that. And, um, you know, by extending the ball up when you have all those all those defenders, that mass of humanity, stuff like that happens. You fumble the football, ball bounces a funny way, falls right into Sam Hubbard's lap for a touchdown. That that really did them in because if Baltimore scores that touchdown, now it's now now Baltimore's ahead, and you know the way they were playing on defense, it's 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 difficult 
even with Joe Burr, it's difficult to go 75 yards against that Baltimore defense when you have absolutely have to score a touchdown. Joe Burrow now moves to four and one in postseason play. Uh, obviously, the Bengals are going to have a super big pass next week in Buffalo. Uh, who's your early favorite for that game? I'm going to give Buffalo a slight edge because they are at home, which is huge. And I'm a little concerned about um, how the offensive line on Cincinnati shakes out. So they were starting... Uh, the Shipling kid, I think he's out of northern Illinois, a right guard. Their right tackle is out. So Hakeem Adenji started. Remember, Hakeem Adenji was their right guard for the Super Bowl. That was an obvious mismatch with Aaron Donald, but that was a mismatch all year. He's back out there at right tackle. And then I would presume Jonah Williams, who played like all but six snaps this year, is out. He has a dislocated knee, knee tap. So now Jackson Carmen comes in, who's more of a guard. So they got some heavy-legged waistbenders at the tackle position now, but they have, you know, um, they're, uh, I would say, pretty shorthanded on the offensive line. So how do you do running the football? Can Buffalo sit on those um, quick passes, knowing that the pass rush is going to get home so they can maybe jump some of those short passes, which Joe Burrow was really getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, can they do that and force him to maybe hold on to the ball for even an extra half second? And defenders are there. So because of that, I would give Buffalo right now slight edge uh, due to home field advantage and then a uh, depleted offensive line. This is going to be the most anticipated game of the divisional round, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say so. You know, both teams, both teams, Super Bowl contenders. You know, I think the three, those two, and the Chiefs, and then San Francisco and Philadelphia. You know, I got to believe the Super Bowl champs to be one of those five. Thought that for about the last month. So because of that, it's going to be close. Um, you know. If, if Dallas happens to play San Francisco, that might be anticipated because those are huge, huge brands, blue blood, blue blood franchises. Um, so that would be hyped up as well. But from a football standpoint, it's it's really it's it's like last year in the division around Buffalo. It's 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 two Super Bowl contenders that are going two legitimate contenders in round two. Was the injury of Lamar Jackson, obviously Lamar didn't play, he put out his little statement that his knee was still hurt, basically. Are you buying it, Kenny? Are you buying that Lamar actually couldn't go? And everyone, everyone's covering themselves in this case. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I haven't heard anything from Baltimore that said that he's able to play. Um you know, the grade two PCL sprain. If there is validity to that, then, you know, if he is somewhat hobbled or had to go in a brace, I could see him being out. But, you know, it's it's complicated without an agent 
and you know both both sides posturing and eventually covering themselves um so it's it's just hard to, for anybody on the outside to get a full grasp if he's a hundred percent or not or what's the threshold to play through the pain and you know that with the looming contract I definitely think that plays a factor into this whole thing him not hit him not having a contract when the league year strikes in the middle of March so all of that really complicates things um So let's give a funeral for the Ravens, Kenny. Listen, Ravens are uh, they're they're I mean they put together a nice year again, ten and seven. Um, you know it it it, it looks like that they probably uh, that they kind of they kind of fleece the Bears on Roquan Smith. Anytime you get an All Pro, you got to do it, and he really changed that defense and. You know, they go eight deep on the defensive line. They even have veterans over the years that could get pressure. Justin Houston had nine and a half sacks this year. Jason Pierre-Paul still doing it. So they put together a nice team. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, their first-round pick, end of that game. They were playing big nickel with three safeties, and he's playing slot corner. So so that type of versatility. Um, Defensively, they're good. Offensively. Whether or not they have Lamar Jackson, I wonder if they think about moving on from Greg Roman, and they could still do some of that core quarterback run, but it's just hard to see how the Ravens in a playoff could go toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow, throw-for-throw with the Bengals, Bills, and Chiefs with that offense. So they're going to need to get a little bit more balanced in the passing direction. Typically with NFL teams, it's flip-flop. More balanced in the passing direction. And then, you know, they got Bateman. They spend a first-round pick on him. But they should be looking to address wide receiver because, you know, they're they're, they're playing Demarcus Robinson and James Perchet a lot. You know, they got (laughs) Sammy Watkins. I mean, Sammy Watkins was off the practice squad. They signed him. You know, a week before the end of the season, but that's not. A, I mean, that's not a receiver group you could throw the ball with. I like what they have with Likely and Mark Andrews, but you know, if they get some upgrade at receiver, you add that with the two tight end look, and maybe more of a, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator could utilize some balance. You know, those two tight ends, two two good receivers. Now they might have something to be dangerous with. Um, but steady year, um, you know, again, credit to, credit to Coach Harbaugh and his group that they were able to make the playoffs for a, um, make, make the playoffs with their starting quarterback out the last five games, which a lot of teams in the NFL, that would not happen. Their, their season would, ship, would sink. The ship would sink when you lose a starting quarterback. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to keep talking about everything that went down for the wild card weekend. Come up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The NFL playoff actually continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57. 
And for the NFL Divisional Round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new ad existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with one leg you add up to 100%. I know, great deal, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL Divisional Round and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Oh, we're back with the Barbershop Sports. Welcome to have Kenny Sim with us as we break down and recap everything that happened for Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. So, Kenny, the San Francisco 49ers, they pound on the Seattle Seahawks 41-23. Brock, purdy, 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 purdy. He's looking like a player, isn't he, Kenny? He's looking good in this offense. He is operating it at a high level. He's operating at a really high level. Um, and he's taking the layups when they're given to him by scheme, and he's also making good throws as well that you got to give him credit because you can't just drop any third-string quarterback in this offense and expect it not to miss a beat. So it's, it's also him, you know, playing at a high level himself to go with a mastery of this offensive system. And, you know, you just get another another outstanding game for him. That is now, that is now the sixth, the sixth game in seven starts where he's had multiple touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah, Brock Purdy, he's, Kenny, he's played himself out of just being a third stringer. Like, I think he's a legit starter in the NFL. Am I crazy to say that? Like, he's, I mean, Jared Goff's a starter. Like, is he, like, he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL. That I will say. He's for sure one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you just, I mean, if you were just to watch the games without knowing who the players are and not knowing that he was a seventh-round pick, you just watch the games, he looks like a starter. And then you look at his game log, you look at his stat line every week, again, it's it's a really high-level quarterback play. It's over, it's over 65%. Completions, but he's also not checking the ball down the field. He's pushing it down the field. It's the multiple touchdowns. It's protecting the football. I think coming in this game, he had under 2% of his passes were turnover-worthy throws like in, in really tight space. So he's making the right reads and put, 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 putting the ball on time and on target. But also he's being helped out with Kyle Shanahan. Point playing, though. I mean... He's not even throwing any passes that have a shot to be turnover-worthy throws. 
and you add that up, you know, he's functioning at a high level, you know. I mean, he's he's a little short. He's 6'1", 220, but kind of the way he operates his offense, it kind of reminds me a little bit, you know, like a like a uh, later in his career, Rich Gannon. Really? With Don Gruden. Okay. MVP Rich Gannon. I mean, Rich Gannon was a journeyman. He'd been on like six or seven different teams, and then he gets into that West Coast system to Hall of Famers and Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, and he looks very competent. But, I mean, if you were to extrapolate, and, and well, well, here's another thing. If you were to, you know, Brock, Brock Purdy did not have, um, you know, he came into the season late, so he did not have enough throws uh, to qualify for a lot of those league-leading statistics. But if he were to keep this up and meet the minimum threshold, his his uh, his quarterback DVOA, which which matches up just in a vacuum, how good the quarterback plays, adjusting for defense, strength of schedule, situation. His rookie year is on par with Matt Ryan's, who was the offensive rookie of the year. It's on par with Deshaun Watson, and it's on par with Andrew Luck. And those are all very good players. So if, if, if he, he, he just didn't play enough to have the minimum amount of attempts. But, I mean, you add that with all of those playmakers he has around him, he's playing at an exceptional level. Do they have to make him the starter long term? Is that where we're heading now? Is it the Brock Purdy 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 show? Yeah, I mean he's done nothing. I mean he's done nothing to, you know, he, you know, done nothing on the field to warrant consideration to be put on the bench. Yeah, I was also reading if Jimmy Garoppolo comes back, Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be the backup. Like I so obviously they're all in on Purdy. Uh, He's playing well. I'm just very curious to see how this still all melds into what's going on with Troy Lance. I mean, the only thing with Troy Lance is, you know, it's a sunk cost. The cost cannot be changed. The only reason they would ever consider moving him back is because they spent the third overall pick on him. But that's a sunk cost. I mean, you can't go back and change it. So it is what it is. So that's the only thing they would want to do that is to try to you know make their draft pick look good but I mean there, there, there's no reason to go into you know switch Purdy for Trey Lance only because of that sunk cost because he was a third overall pick but even if he does start I mean I mean Trey Lance does not have the throws and he does not have anything on tape to be a sure thing, so it's 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 a project. It's an idea. He's very raw, but right now it's Brock Purdy's show, and you know the way he's playing. There's no need to even blink an eye. I mean, the only reason anyone would ever think this is due to the due to where they were drafted. But that's I mean that's irrelevant now in the NFLs. You know what what have you done on the field? The also the issue with Trey Lance is we haven't seen him play any football. I mean, he only played two games this year and last less than two games. He got hurt like in the first quarter of the second game. They played in that awful 
crap show of a field and Soldier Field in Chicago where everybody's slipping and sliding. That's not really good conditions to evaluate anybody. He only played two games his rookie year. They haven't even really had a chance to evaluate him. I know the football hasn't been great when he's played, but I mean, a lot of this stuff takes time. You need guys to play. You need guys to get the reps. We've seen Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. They kind of struggled their rookie years. Now they're starting to figure it out a little bit. The dude, like, of like 30 eligible games he could have played, he's only played like four or five. They haven't even seen him. Adding that with the fact that, you know, you got a lot of veterans in the locker room wanting to win now. And, you know, Brock Purdy continues to do that as well. You know, again, you're playing Trey Land. I mean, he's doing that to try to justify a draft pick. But, you know, however you want to flip that, you can flip Look the roles, you flip the draft pick roles, is San Francisco, between the two, they found a starter in Brock Purdy that can operate this offense at a high level and play point guard and distribute it to all of the playmakers. So what would be your funeral for the Seattle Seahawks? Great first year starting for nowhere. Seattle came out of nowhere this year to make the playoffs in a rebuild year. And, you know, to do that is very impressive. But, you know, to do that with all of their um, contributions from rookies this year as a promising rookie class, and they still have, again, a very high draft pick. I think that's the number five, number six overall pick from Denver. So they have a chance to get a, you know, their highest draft pick to date under Pete Carroll at number five. Um, or they could flip that, you know, for more picks or flip that into a, you know, all pro type player or whatever they do with that. But, but they have laid a really good foundation that has – won games, it's been able to keep veterans like, you know, Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf productive and not in a rebuild, and they've laid the foundation with their rookie class this year, and Geno Smith, and they still have a ton of picks this year, high picks as well in the draft, to continue to add to that as they begin to build their roster, and maybe that can turn into a powerhouse roster like San Francisco does in the division. But they had an outstanding year uh, and one of Pete Carroll's best co- coaching jobs to turn this season what it looked like before to what they ultimately did, you know, winning nine games, making the playoffs, getting that postseason experience. And this is just the start of their new window now. So... You know, my, my takeaway was, you know, the the window to win for Seattle opened up very quickly this year. It's starting right now. And as long as they have rookies on rookie contracts contributing, that window is going to be open for a, for a long time. One of the most interesting things I thought about this game, this is a battle between two basically throwaway quarterbacks who ended up really playing some... Pretty good football. Really good winning football. Geno Smith and Brock Purdy. 
Uh, I think the position's getting deeper and deeper, Kenny. Uh, I'm sorry, what? I feel like the quarterback position's getting deeper and deeper. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, I mean just, just, just over the years, just over the years, um, you know, the floor of the position has definitely been elevated. You know, there's about, you know, 20, 24 quarterbacks who could start, and in the right situation, they could win games. So there's definitely a lot of them, which was not the case even 10 years ago. Um, you know, I still believe at the top, though, of the quarterback, you know, the elite ones that truly move the needle, that stays still between like six, seven, eight guys maybe. But but the depth of the position has definitely um, increased over about the last five to ten years because – there, I mean, there, there are. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the right scheme and system that could play winning football. So now let's go to the Giants versus the Vikings. Kenny, you and I have talked about this a lot throughout the year. Not being sold on the Vikings. I thought they were going to lose this game to the Giants. But for it to happen the way it did, uh, Vikings... Most overrated team you can ever remember. Caper Tiger. I mean, we've been on it. We called it. You had the Giants. I picked the Giants as underdogs as well. You know, when you don't have the luck, when you don't have the turnovers, there are no turnovers in this game. When you don't have the turnover advantage, you don't have the luck, break it down by game. I mean, Again, the Giants outgained the Vikings by 100 yards, and they did that the first game, too. You know, again, Minnesota got lucky at the end, but two straight times they played. The Giants have outgained them by 100 yards. Giants were better on third down. They were 9 of 15 on third and fourth downs. They won time of possession. They won first down. You know, any which way you think about it, um, the Giants were just the better team. And really, the Giants only um, only the two times the Giants didn't score was at the end of the half when they were just kind of sitting on it, and then the end of the game when they took three knees. But the Giants, um, the Giants often scored every time they had the ball. Kenny, can the Giants go into the link and beat the Eagles? Yeah, why not the Giants? You know, at this point, again, again, at this point, we are down to the elite eight. We're down to the final eight teams. So, you know, at this point, everyone's good. It's no longer a fluke. And just like, you know, a few years ago where I know, Browns plays a 10-point underdog to Kansas City. I said, why not the Browns? And we're within a touchdown. Again, with the Giants. You know, the Giants are going in to the one seed. They're seven-and-a-half-point underdog, but why not the Giants? I mean, if, if, if they play their game, you know, Daniel Jones, the passing efficiency, running the football, it's, 
it's on par with the Jalen Hurts even. The way he's playing right now. And, you know, their offensive line and Saquon Barkley, and then that, that, that front four is becoming dangerous with Aziz, KT, Leonard Williams, and Dexter Lawrence. You know, they got a front that could get pressure, a veteran coordinator. But, I mean, you know, with how hot they're playing right now, and still, I would say the better coach. Why not the Giants? Now it's going to be now, now, now it's going to be a very tough game. They're going to need to play their A game, and they're going to need the Eagles not to play their A game. Because even if it's A game versus A game, probably the Eagles win. Um, but it's going to take the Giants' best team of the year, and then you know the Eagles are going to have to not play their A game, which might be a credit to the Giants, might be some self-imposed penalties and mistakes, but it's, it's going to take that type of game. But, you know, the Giants could definitely keep it close and within striking distance of winning, though. So you think Dayball's a better coach than Sirianni? Yeah, I mean, look what he's doing right now. I mean, he, he, even still, I mean... You know, you line up, you line up the tight ends and receivers on each team. I mean, look at what the Giants still. I mean, the Giants still have. I mean, it's Isaiah Hodgins, a seventh round pick from Buffalo, Darius Slates and Richie James, and then rookie Dan, Daniel Bellinger. I mean, that. I mean, and, and then you compare that to what the Eagles have. But I mean, we could play that game. I mean, you know, you take a look at number one receivers. You know, they have AJ Brown. You have Isaiah Hodgins and do that. But, I mean, Brian, Brian Dable's doing more with less and putting out outstanding efforts. I think that game is going to be very close. I don't know if I'm there yet, Kenny, to pick the Giants, but I do think the Giants are to give them themselves a chance because the one thing they don't do is they play very efficient football. They don't turn it over and they don't beat themselves. That's how the Giants have gotten to where they are. They play very good football that way. And also, let's also remember this. They played the last game of the season, and the Giants kind of called off the dogs and played their backups, and the Eagles were playing their starters, and that game was a lot closer than you would have thought it would have been. So I, I think this game is going to be a very competitive, close game, particularly since both these teams know each other, too. It's in division, which makes this even more tricky. Yeah. Yeah, that's number three, that they're playing each other. But also look at the Giants too. So how about this? I mean, I did not know this until it happened. But that was the Giants' first playoff win since the Super Bowl season in 2011. Ten years. First playoff win since the Super Bowl. I could not believe that. Yeah, for a blue blood franchise at that. Vikings. We'll be your funeral for the Vikings, Kenny. Hey, take a look at the Vikings. I mean, again, you know, credit to them as they build a program is they won 13 games and they really ran away with the division. And they really ran away with it with, you know, slow starts to three of the teams they start off red hot, and all of a sudden, you know, it's it's, it's Halloween, and they got a five-game lead. But, you know, to have 
to have again a first-year head coach and a first-year general manager. This is a foundation that, you know, you look at, you know, winning minimum eight, nine games every year, it looks like, with them. And now it's the fact that they cannot sleep on having a 13-5 and season and looking to get better because, again, 27th in DVOA, the negative point differential. Look at some teams that had better point differentials in them, like the Saints and the Raiders. So this was a good start, but they need to be very aggressive this offseason to improve their team because it's just hard to go 11-0 again in one-score games. You know, even if it's flipped, you know, they maybe win six or seven only. So um, definitely this season they need to have um, a lot of sense of urgency that they cannot rest on this or think they can run this back at 13-4. and four. They got a lot of pieces they could work with, but um, definitely major sense of urgency to continue to get better. Because if they do not, um, they're 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 going to regress back to the mean. Because it's extremely difficult again to be eleven and zero in one score games next year. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break. We're going to come next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to talk about the Chargers versus the Jaguars. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we still have Kenny with us. So, Kenny, the Chargers losing to the Jaguars 31-30 in the most heinous way possible, embarrassing, putting in a choke job well above a double-digit lead. And I was talking to my friend Silas, and I'm like, Si, it would be the most Chargers thing ever if they were to blow this lead. And they did it. How bad of a loss was this for the Chargers? It's absolutely gutless. Just there is zero excuse to lose that game, and it was uh, just a just everything that could go wrong did. Again, how, how is it even possible to be up twenty-seven nothing and the Chargers? We're plus five in the turnover margin. How is that even possible to lose? It was, I mean, it was just um, everything that had to go wrong dead. I mean, second half, Chargers all year, not able to run the football. Just to, just to eat 40 seconds off the clock or, you know, 
getting that four-minute offense, not running the football, throwing the ball 25 of 33 plays in the second half. Are you kidding me? 25 attempts with the lead like that? Snapping the ball, again, head coach and quarterback, snapping the ball with 22 seconds on the play clock. It's all of these things. Um, You know, on defense, it's letting Trevor Lawrence operate and get in a rhythm late without the pass rush. It's, 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 you know, Joey Bosa jumping off sides, penalty to put the ball on the one to go for two, all of that stuff. Just huge, huge indictments, huge fireball offenses. And, you know, to lose that game as much as Jacksonville won it, just absolutely gutless effort by the Chargers. In terms of bad losses, disheartening losses, this kind of reminds me of the Cardinals game last year, Kenny, where it's kind of like, after that, we felt differently a little bit about Cliff and Kyler. Does this make you feel differently about Staley and Herbert now? It's kind of like, because I know they made the playoffs a great accomplishment, but to lose in that in such a way, because the next logical step for this team is, okay, you made it to the playoffs. Now you need to advance. And the way that looks, that doesn't look like a team that's going to be able to advance. Again, uh, until they make significant noise in the playoffs, it will take years to overcome this loss. Just like the Falcons talking away 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. It, it, uh, uh, until the Falcons win the Super Bowl, it will never go away. And they progressively got worse and worse every year. And look where they are now. Like with the Chargers. It, no lead will ever be safe anymore. Because that will always be in the back of their heads. It will be in the back of the opponent's heads. Knowing that this is the team. You know, this type of team with this DNA. They blew 27 to nothing. So no lead will ever be safe again for the Chargers until they overcome that. Yeah, I firmly believe that. That it, it, it will it will never be you can never forget that. They'll always be in the back of their mind. The opponents but, but also the Chargers too. It got me some doubt. You know, just you know, twenty seven to nothing. That's gonna be in their minds as well when trying to protect the lead. Do they start getting more and more conservative? Do they start overcompensating and, and with with you know decisions when they have the lead now? But uh, until they actually do it and make significant noise in the playoffs, they'll never overcome this. Does Staley have to go? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean again, it's just. It's the twenty-seven to nothing, and it's it's you know it's it's the undisciplined team. It's this defense, this defense that has been uh, bad now for two years, and they were last in the run this year. They're twenty-ninth in the run this year. Jacksonville was always able to run the ball, to, you know, get favorable down in distance. It's it's these fourth down decisions that have always been perplexing. Um, and again, it's, it's hard to, you know, wear that on 
your resume as the head coach, again, again, it, it's 27 to nothing. It's hard that this is going to be his legacy. This is what he's going to be known for, that he was the coach. I mean, we can name the coaches in these big upsets. And he's going to be the coach that was up 27 to nothing. Yeah. And again, he... even things, too. And, and it's, it's having a big leap, two and three possessions, and snapping the ball with 22 seconds on the play clock. Like, just little things like that. If you at least manage the clock. I don't know if Jacksonville gets the number of possessions to come back, and they would make it. And, 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 and it was already very difficult to come back from that. A lot of things had to go their way. But it would make it, you know, almost impossible. It's just small things like that. You just take, you know, you take about three extra minutes off the clock and things like that. Um, you know, you make it at the point where not only is Jacksonville playing the Chargers, but Jacksonville also has to play the clock as well. Do you think Sean Payton, I think, I, I, th- I think they're going to consider. I, I think I, I don't know if Brandon Staley is quite going to get fired, but I think I think there's going to be some rumblings about it. I, I don't I don't believe that the regime of the organization is completely sold on him. And I guess how can you be after this? But I I, I would think the Chargers are going to be doing some sniffing around. He's definitely going to be on the hot seat to start the season. I think like if the season does not go well, I think he's going to be out of there, Kenny. Oh yeah, that roster is you know the. Um The high-end talent on that roster, a lot of coaches would want to work with that, and they could do a lot better than the past two years with what the Chargers have, you know, at the top of their depth chart, at the top of their roster. You take their eight or top eight, top ten guys. Um, But, again, the reality of the situation, and I know we both know this, the reality of the situation is owner Dean Spanos and siblings, the Spanos family, they have always been a team that does not pay their coach a lot. They are very frugal in breaking the bank for coaches like this. And for coaches like Deshaun Payton, at that level, I mean, behind the scenes, like a guy like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, those guys are those guys are over fifteen million a year. And I know the um, Patriots don't really disclose theirs, but there's been some rumors that Bill Belichick makes twenty million a year. But it's going to be that type of investment the Chargers are going to have to make. And historically, the Spanos family does not do that at all. So not only paying the current coaching staff to go away, but having to dish out that amount of money, they've never done something like that before. The Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, four interceptions, and they still win the game. Thoughts on Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson, and this comeback from their perspective? That was a tale of two halves. I mean, it was almost, uh, you, you know, the first half, performance uh, I know at one point not only the four interceptions but I think Trevor Lawrence had as many interceptions and completions he was like four four of 16 for 30 yards he almost turned into the shriveler and coming up small 
saying what's going on with him now. And he flipped it in the second half with a flawless performance. The kid showed why he is a top pick and the quarterback of the future for, for the Jags to overcome this um, was impressive. A lot like Andrew Luck. And they had a similar type comeback in 2013 when the Colts won at home against the Chiefs. Uh, I don't know if there's 27 points. Jaguars had the third biggest comeback, I want to say, in playoff history. But uh, the Colts in 2013, it was like the uh, fourth or fifth or 21, 23 points they overcame. But that type of resilience is number one pick. He got a ton of credit for his poise and leadership and staying level-headed by his teammates in the post-game interviews. And then Doug Peterson, um, you know, the resiliency he has, um, really that's all you could do and save your team when you're down at halftime, 27-7. It's just chip away little by little, piece by piece, and that's really the only way to do it. You know, almost in basketball, you're down by a lot. You say you've got, you're down by a lot at the, you know, let's try to get this down to double digits at the end of the third quarter. Six-minute mark, let's get it down to a six-point game. I like the Jaguars, you know, they're down by a lot. Let's go piece by piece. Let's just try to be within two possessions at the end of the quarter, going into the fourth quarter. Then all of a sudden, let's try to get this to a one-possession game with about, you know, five, six minutes to go. And then all of a sudden, forget what happened the first 55 minutes of the game. All of a sudden, it's a one-possession game in the playoffs, and let's go. Um, so that type of message was received by the players, and that's exactly what they did. And then some of the calls, some of the calls that Peterson had. I mean, I love that wing tee on fourth and one, the QB sneak. You move everybody into the box thinking it's a sneak. And then you just kind of just smush everybody in towards the ball. And you got those two running backs out of the backfield as lead blockers. And you really just, essentially, you just outflank them. And that's what they did with, Tra- with Travis Etienne on fourth and one. That and the two-point conversion with the momentum. Excellent coaching by Doug Peterson. He's one of the best. Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert? Who would you rather have? Oh, I'd take Trevor Lawrence. I think he's resilient. He's delivered. He's put it onto the field. Um, you know, back half of the year, once he got a feel for what they're trying to do on offense, once he put him with a competent coach, and, and you know, they upgraded this year on free agency. I mean, again, I mean, it was at one point, I mean, you take a look at him, he, he had probably, you know, you know, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions during a five, six-game stretch at the end of the year. But uh, I'll take him. Now, give me a funeral, Kenny, for the Los Angeles Chargers. Just a lot of soul-searching that needs to be done for them. You know, I look, they're serious about winning in this window when you have, you know, a pretty good quality. I mean, I would say a 
pretty good quarterback um, on a rookie deal. This is the window NFL teams make their run in. Um, I'd be looking to upgrade a head coach. And then it's almost like a cheat code about not only core quarterbacks needing weapons around them, Really good young quarterbacks also need a really good coach around them, too, uh, to help elevate them. So that's one. And then in the trenches, both both running the ball, it needs to be part of their offense for situations like this. When you have the lead, you can still get positive plays and milk the clock. And then the run defense as well. Secondary is very good, but run defense has been a problem for two years. So trench play has to really improve for them to make a jump because, you know, NFL teams will exploit both of those aspects. Specifically, if a defense can't stop the run, then that opens up up a lot for the opponent. So trench play head coach gotta be better major improvements should be needed if the Chargers should be taken seriously now we're gonna go to the last game Tampa versus Dallas who you got in this matchup Kenny I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that there's been you know Examples of this in the past. Panthers before. Seahawks before. The division winner under 500 hosting a playoff game has won. And the key here is they should get center Ryan Jensen back. But the key here is offensive line, Buccaneers. Can they protect Tom Brady? Neutralize that pass rush from Michael Parsons. If they're able to do that, and, and Tom Brady has a clean pocket. And they've kind of turned, in, in, in the last couple of weeks, Tampa and Brian Lutherts have really kind of turned that offense over to Tom Brady. If they keep Tom Brady upright and clean, and they can maybe run some no huddle, you know, he's third in the NFL in guards for attempt and no huddle. If they can do that and keep him clean in the pocket, you can really still put the ball in Brady's hands and let him broke quick, slice and dice the defense. Um, so that's going to be the main key in this game. At home, with some time to prepare and knowing this, I believe the Bucks will make a conscious effort to do that and neutralize the pass rush and wear, um, wear them down with a lot of plays, with no huddle. And the Buccaneers will be able just to squeak out enough points to beat the Cowboys who have been inconsistent in their own right as well. Um, both three and outs last week against Washington. That I know that game was not important, but that is a resume. The players did that. That's on their record. So, Todd Bowles gave us some pressure on Dak Prescott. Maybe force one turnover. If Brady doesn't turn it over, that might be all they need. It's a plus one, the turnover advantage. I like the Buccaneers in a very close game to get that win at home. 
Who do you think has more to lose in this game, Mike McCarthy or Todd Bowles? This, uh, Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy, because he has he has the better team. To be honest, roster for roster, Cowboys have a better team. And you take a look at the window for the Cowboys. I mean. You get Brady, who's a little older, but let, let, let's take a look at the other quarterbacks in the Final Four of the NFC. Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, Brock Purdy. Now, there's not a lot of Hall of Famers. <laughs> so, my, my, my point being is traditionally you take a look at the Staffers and the Rodgers and everything and, and Drew Brees. If you can't win it this year... I don't know when there's going to be your uh, quarterbacks in the NFC having the lack of resume as those three. It is set up perfectly for the Cowboys. And we know windows windows close very quickly in the NFL. I just don't see this happening in the future where you have three quarterbacks on a team in the NFC. You take a look at the three opponents in the Final Four. I don't know if you ever get this again with the lack of resume for the other three quarterbacks. So this is this is right for the taking for Dallas. Who has the better chance of beating the Niners, Cowboys or Buccaneers? I'm going to say here... You know, I'm going to say here... I'm going to say the Bucks. Um, now I know they played; they lost thirty-five to seven. Cowboys didn't play the Niners this year, but you could throw the ball on the Niners, and specifically deep. They're not the best at defending the deep ball, so you know Tampa is better set up than Dallas in totally abandoning totally abandoning the run and putting it on their quarterback for probably 50-plus attempts. Um, I would trust Brady to do that more than that. Enough players, Godwin and Evans on the outside, to go deep on the Niners. And then defensively, it's going to be hard either way. Um, But Tampa has... Still, a veteran team on defense with a lot of players that played in that Super Bowl a few years ago. You know, Antron Winfield back there, Devin White, David, Vita Bay. Todd Bowles could still scheme up as good as anyone, blitz packages to try to get after Brock Purdy, more exotic coming after them. Uh, Todd Bowles has done that in his career better than Dan Quinn. So he's, he has that scheme and players um, to come at Brock Purdy a multiple of ways. Kenny, I don't think we're going on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Super Wild Card Weekend was definitely super. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 527th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.
Girl, like it ain't no thing. Turn the radio world so the girl can sing.